You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Church, you may be seated and to say good morning. And my name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus. And it's great to be here. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord. And I want to let you know something that we are working on as we've started the two services. We are working on uh, all that scheduling. We begin a service at 9 o'clock uh, with Bible study options. So we are working on an option for adults during that second hour. We still have preschool and nursery and kindergarten through third grade. They're actually going on. You'll hear them from time to time back there. And that's all right, but we want you to know we are working on that for adults, adult Sunday school, whatever you might call that. Um, So be looking for that, and if that works in your schedule where you could worship first hour, then attend that second hour, um, we'll begin publishing that information soon. So today we're beginning a brand new series, so I figured with a fresh series, I needed a fresh haircut and beard trim. So that's why I look very different today. But you stay around here long enough, I kind of change my appearance quite often. Uh, I just get a little bored and that's all right. So today, I'm so excited, we're starting a brand new series through the Gospel of John. And if you want to go ahead and find your way there in your Bibles on your devices, but I want to kind of set it up about what we're going to do today. One, I want us to get to know the author. I want us to, let's look at the background that this was written in. I want us to see the purpose because that is important for framing this whole thing. And then I would love to share with you what I've been praying for the last few weeks of my hope that we would gain from studying this book over the next several months. And then we're going to walk through the prologue, the beginning, the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. So who is this guy, John? Well, he was a basic fisherman on the Sea of Galilee until Jesus called him to a very different life. He was one of the sons of thunder. He was a son of Zebedee, and he had a brother named James. And he's one of those 12 men that Jesus gave a specific call to come and follow me. And of those 12, you hear more about Peter, James, and John than any other three. So they're kind of that really inner circle to uh, Jesus and his followers, and as you read about John, you know he was one of the, the pillars, according to Galatians 2, of the beginnings of the Jerusalem church. After Jesus' resurrection, the church is established, and he was one of the pillars in that community, in that church. But after about 20 years, he heads north and he lands in Ephesus. It is there Paul established a church, and John comes behind him, and he leads that church there, and that's where he writes this book, the Gospel of John. But he also writes First and Second, Third John, and even the book of Revelation. But what is interesting is if you hold up the four Gospels, if you've ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's three that we refer to as the synoptic Gospels because they're very similar in style and the events that they cover. But John is, it's not, it's not a different gospel, it's just unique. In fact, John, of his gospel, 93% of it is original material that you will not find in 
the other Gospels. And it's often the Gospel that if somebody comes to know Christ, it would be the first book that we might say, man, this would be a great place to start. But it's also for that person that's been a believer their whole life and been in God's Word. And so it's for those that are beginning, but it's also for those that really love to dive deep into God's Word. But John is very unique, and we're going to see that. So what is the purpose? Why does he write a unique gospel? And it's so important because it's going to frame everything else that we look at and know why we're doing this. What is he talking about? And so knowing the purpose of any book is good. So if you like to read and maybe you love to sit down, relax, take a good book and just allow your mind to escape and, and uh, with a nice cup of coffee or whatever it might be, you're not going to probably go pick up, you know, like Julia Child's Art of French Cooking. Because that's not the purpose of that book. But John is so great because he gives us what the purpose is. It's in John 20, beginning in verses 30 and 31. He tells us, this is why I'm writing. And he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So Jesus did a lot of things, but they're not all recorded. But John's going to pick certain ones. He covers more miracles than any other gospel. But he does it, but I've written these things so that you may believe. We're going to talk about that word in a minute. It's In Greek, it means pistuo, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in him. So John writes this, and we're going to see this over the next several months, so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that in believing, we might have eternal life. So what is what I've been praying, and I would say it's really that. I've been praying that we would come to believe more and more of who Jesus is and what he has done. But kids, let me give you this. This You'll remember this probably easier because this is the way I think too. I, I think in word pictures and that... What, is the, what do we hope happens? I don't know if you love to read, but the best books, I believe, are the Chronicles of Narnia. I bet I've read them six or seven times. The movies are great. Books are so much better. But it's the Chronicles of Narnia. It's in the fourth book with Prince Caspian, the journey back to um, Narnia. So Lucy is there, and Lucy meets the great Aslan, and she comes up to him, and he says, Welcome, my child. Lucy replies, Aslan, you're, you're bigger. She looks at him and she says, that is because, he looks at her and says, but that's because you are older, little one. And she's kind of put back, she's kind of puzzled by this. And she says, not because you are? Aslan answers, I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And I would say in bigger. And that right there, that is my hope. That is my prayer that each and every week that we come to this gospel that John is going to write, that we would find Jesus bigger and bigger. That we would come to believe more and more in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Because this is how I would phrase it. Believing is seeing Jesus bigger and bigger. But there's always a danger to this. 
There's a danger I think we need to be aware of. And I believe this is why John is writing this gospel at this time. It's a danger back then. It's a danger still today. It's just maybe phrased a little bit differently. You see, John uses this word believe. And it's the word pistuo. And it's 248 times you'll find that in the New Testament. What is this word? Well, it's the verb form of faith. It's kind of a faith in action. It is a word of believing, not just mental assent, oh, something's true, but it means an active, continuous trust in Jesus. It's faith seen. It's faith exercised. It's faith that is continuous in its growth. It is active. And so he says, I've written this book so that you might pastuo, that you might actively Believe, actively have faith. You see, there are religious circles, our culture today. We love this word, believe or belief. And you can't turn your radio station to I don't know, one of those ones that play Christian music that, uh, or a show on TV, that religious show, or even probably any sermon, that you're not going to hear the words believe or believe. It's a powerful word, but... If we're not careful, these words can lose their power. Because what happens is sometimes you move just outside the Christian circles or the Christian bubbles. And you know what you hear? You'll hear people talking about belief and believing. But if you'll listen real carefully, you'll hear their message of believing is not in an object or in a person. But it's rather belief in believe. It's faith in faith. And it goes something like this. It doesn't matter who you believe or what you believe. All that matters is that you believe or you have faith. And it's a belief in belief or a faith in faith. So let me give you two examples. I think one of the most influential people, I would say even religiously over the past 25 years, has been Oprah Winfrey. And she doesn't care what you believe, only that you do believe. She's convinced that just believing in something, that that's really all that matters. In fact, several years ago, she had a person on her show, a self-prescribed atheist, and she describes this view of standing at the ocean and looking out, and she said, I was in awe and wonder. Oprah looks at her and says, well, I wouldn't call you an atheist then. I think if you believe in awe or wonder or mystery, then that's what God is. You see, she's selling a brand of spirituality that revolves around this believing in belief. As long as a person has faith, they're good. But she's ignoring the object of the faith. So let me give you another one. There's a, an ad campaign that hit last week and I'm telling you, Twitter exploded. And then now you've seen this, this ad used in a lot of different ways. There's people that are dropping sponsorships and everything because it was by Nike. And it says this, believe in something. Hey, even if it costs you or it sacrifices everything. And that's, it's the same message, just phrased differently. Hey, it doesn't matter what you believe. Just pick something. Even if it costs you everything, but just follow a belief. 
It's saying it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. But John's gospel could not be any different. He is not calling us to believe and believe or have faith in faith. He is teaching a belief in a specific real person. So let's begin in John chapter 1. And, you know, I began saying that John's gospel is very unique. And even you see this in the introductions. In fact, if you were to go to verse 19, they really wouldn't be much different. If you take Matthew and Luke and put them together, they cover very similar things. It's those things we talk a lot about during Advent and Christmas. You're going to see the genealogy of Jesus, his family tree. You're going to see the birth in Bethlehem, the stable, the angels, the shepherds, and the wise men. Now, Mark, he's a lot like me. He's a little impatient. He doesn't have time. So he just kind of jumps right to John's baptism of Jesus. But what they're doing, they're all grounding Jesus in an historical event. But John's gospel is very different. He begins with a totally different viewpoint because believing is seeing Jesus bigger and bigger. And that's what John is going after. Just notice how it begins. In John 1, 1, in the beginning. So John is one that writes the backstory. I don't know if you grew up a Superman or a Spider-Man fan or, or a Star Wars, and you kind of jumped into this story, and man, you, you watched it, and you were enamored by it all. But then you watch the movie, you read the comic of, oh, there's actually a story before the story, the backstory of all of this, and you just appreciate it more and more. Well, that's what John is doing. He's, he's going back, but notice how far he goes back. He says, in the beginning. And when you first read that, you think, oh, Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning, God created. Genesis 1-1 takes us to creation. John, he's going before it. John is going to the time before creation, before there was anything. John goes back even farther. Because notice what he says. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So he's going back even farther. So this Word, you probably have heard, is a reference to Jesus. But why would John do that? Why would John not just say, even in my purpose, I'm writing that you believe in Jesus, the Son of God. Why doesn't he just say, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God? Why would he use the word that he does? Well, it's the word logos, and it means an expression or um, a visible message. So you think of the word logo where this comes from. And like one of the most recognizable logos in the world would be the golden arches. You know, they developed that so that when you saw that, you would not think Burger King. They want you to think of a specific message. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is the ultimate expression, the visible message of God. Now, John wants us to know three things about the word. First of all, that He's always existed, eternally before. That he wasn't created. He's always been. There's never been a time when Jesus did not exist. He's always been. But he's not alone. Jesus, the Word, was with God. With God the Father. 
There was this eternal triune relationship, and they've always been together. They've always known each other. But then the kicker, the word Jesus is God. So not only was Jesus always existed, existed with God the Father, that he is God. Not a God, but is God. And he is the ultimate expression to us of who God is. He's the word come flesh. Now, this is not going to really be all that helpful. I'm going to share it anyways. That, uh, what is the picture for that? I, the, only, the best thing I come over that falls way short is like, I've never seen the internet. I've seen web pages. My, my, my life probably could not exist now without the internet. We're too dependent on it. But I've never seen it. I have no idea how it works. But what if a guy or a lady walked in the back and said, Hello. I'm the internet. So all of a sudden, oh, I have a picture. I have a personality. I have likes and dislikes. There is so much more that I can know about the internet. So Jesus, when he comes and the word becomes flesh, that he is the ultimate expression of who God is. But there's more that he wants us to know in verse 3. So not only is he eternal existed with God and is God, All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. So not only was he present at creation, he was active. Meaning if you take Jesus away, there is absolutely no life. There would be nothing. So last week in our Bible study time that we study uh, from our youngest all the way up through our adult class, Studied on creation. and I loved this. We got one of these home with our son that Miss Carla did with the second and third graders of making the six days of creation. And I know we read that account, Genesis, and a lot of times, you know, it goes in, well, okay, I've heard that, and we kind of, what's the big deal? So why, why is that so important? Why would we stop and to study and to realize this? Why does John take us to where Jesus creates all things? Why is that so important that Jesus created all things. It's because if Jesus is the creator, if he is the one that created all things, including you and me, that means that he knows what we need. It means that he can be trusted with everything because he created you. In fact, he knows what you need before you know it. This week I was reading and I learned about a man I'd never heard about before called Charles Steinmetz. He was a mathematical and a mechanical genius. He was good friends with Henry Ford. Kind of a match made in heaven. Because you see, he's the one that designed the motors that created the assembly line. They said he could envision in his head, think nobody has ever seen this. He imagines it, then he creates it. One day that uh, assembly line broke down, and who do they call? Oh, Steinmetz. They said he came and he tinkered for a few minutes Flipped a switch, and all of a sudden, everything began running again. So Steinmetz goes home, and he sends Henry Ford a bill for $10,000. A lot of money back then, I assume. And So Ford wrote back to Steinmetz, and he says, uh, Friend, um, your bill seems a little high for just a little tinkering. Steinmetz writes back, and he says, sends a new revised bill. It says, Tinkering, $10.00. Knowing where to tinker, $9,990. And you see, 
Jesus knows us because he created us. He knows just what we need before we need. He knows where in our life there needs to be some tinkering. We can trust him because he's our eternal creator. This is why we prayed and asked for guidance in some lives and decisions for healing and and for different things that are happening because he knows us, he cares, he created us. Then notice the next description in verse 4. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus comes and he brings two things really to us. The first one is life, and it's almost as if Jesus wraps himself around life and he hand delivers it to us, our physical life and a spiritual life. I mean that you and I, we get to exist, we get to breathe air, enjoy good food as we will today, rock our children to sleep, play ball with our kids, take our grandkids to the park, have date nights, enjoy coffee with friends. It's because of Jesus. That without him, there would be absolutely no life. And then he brings light. So think back to creation. In the beginning, there was nothing but darkness. And God said the word, let there be light. And it says that darkness is chased away. A physical reality. But it's also a spiritual one. You see, death and sin and separation from God are described as darkness. And this darkness is real. And I know I feel it each and every day. I feel it and I see it in the things that go on in the world, even in my own life. We see it in the way people get treated with hate and gossip and racism and discontent. We see it in the way people don't stand by their word and we're dishonest and we lack integrity. We know the darkness that even lives in our own heads. We fight against the lies that we tell ourselves, the lies that lead to depression and anxiety. We see the darkness in our own selfishness, in our rebellion against our Creator, and even in our attempts to dethrone Him as the one in control of our lives. But what does John say? The promise is that there is a light that will chase away the darkness. You know, some days I think, man, that is such an easy promise to believe. Man, you can just feel it, you can see it working, all down, and everything gets worked out. But there are other days that I find it hard to believe that. And the darkness seems darker and darker, and you find yourself without hope. Because think about how powerful a simple candle can be. In completely dark room, and we can't do it in here, but you might can get it a little bit darker. As it gets dark, you take a simple candle and you light that candle and you simply move around the room and everything that that candle touches, all of a sudden it begins illuminating. But what is it about this candle? It's how fragile it is. You know, some days, yeah, it seems like it's easy to believe, but then all it takes is a... and the darkness is... It comes again. So what does John do? He says, I think this is how life is. We want to believe in the light that it can chase away any darkness. 
but it's often hard. So what does John do? John is pushing our attention to a time where light will shine and darkness cannot overcome it. And you read about it in his other book, Revelation. Listen to chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. He says, in the future, I saw no temple. And in the city for its temple, it is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And in the city, there was no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And then just the next chapter over, in 22.5, he says, And the night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or the sun. For the Lord God will be their light. He will be the one. And they will reign forever and ever. In fact, John is saying there is coming a time where there will be no darkness. No more sin, no more disease, no more grief, no more depression, no more sadness, no more death. So John wants this future reality to guide our present one. Think about that. Focus on there is coming a time. I promise you, let that guide your present reality. But then all of a sudden, he snaps us back into the present in verse 6. He says, but there was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to bear light, bear witness about the light that all might believe in him. He is not the light, but came to bear witness about him. Now, we're going to save a lot of that discussion for next week. We're really going to jump into John the Baptist. So John now points to the reality of, of what happens about when this light came in verse 9. The true light, that word, remember that one? He said, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, getting ready. Here he goes. But he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. In fact, in some ways, this is some of the saddest verses in all the scriptures, that he came and to his own home and they rejected him. Came to his own people, the children of Israel. And as a nation, they rejected him. They refused to accept him as the promised Messiah that they had taught from generation to generation. They refused to obey his commands. They refused to allow him to chase away the darkness in their lives. But the good news is that it's not universal. Notice verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But to everyone who received him and believed on his name, he gives the right to become children. Children that will never have to deal with darkness again. But I want us to see how this all happens. How does this truth come about, about people believing? And it includes us, and it's in verse 13 and 14. What happens by those that were born? Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. It took on our humanity that we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus came to us. He sought us out. He pursues us. And he causes us to be born again. 
It's not happens by willpower or by our flesh or because of certain last name you might have. He says it's only by God's sovereign act of grace that this happens. And then he puts the magnitude behind it. So this shows us that even the hardest of hearts can be turned. In verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. In verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made himself known. So Jesus doesn't just come halfway. He doesn't just give part of himself. He comes in his fullness. With all that he has and all that he is, that's what he comes to us in. And notice what he brings. He brings grace upon grace. Meaning, it's grace that it's added to grace, that it's added to grace, heaped upon grace upon grace upon grace. Best word picture I can think of this is if you've ever stood at the ocean. You stand there no matter what time of day, what time of year, it's wave after wave. You could dig the biggest hole possible. A wave comes, fills it in. What is right behind it? Another wave. There is nothing you can do to stop it. So John says Jesus comes and he overflows with grace. He heaps grace upon grace upon grace upon grace into our lives. And I think we so desperately need to hold on to this truth. That Christ wants to overflow in our lives, in the lives of others. Because grace is the only thing that can hold back the waves of darkness. So Christ wants to heap grace upon grace upon the people's lives, of those that have received and believed him. Listen to how Martin Luther explained it. It's so beautiful. This spring, this grace upon grace is inexhaustible. It is full of grace in the truth of God. It never loses anything, no matter how much we draw from it. The more we draw from it, the more abundantly it gives of the water that springs into eternal life. Just as the sin is, or sun is not darkened by the whole world enjoying its light, so is Christ our Lord, an infinite source of all grace. The fountain always runs over, full of grace. So let me ask you, do you feel like you've kind of come to that place where you've kind of used up all of your chances? Do you feel like you've made kind of too many mistakes and there's no way I can turn back to Jesus one more time? Eventually, he's just going to give up on me. You think that the darkness is just too much and you just can't take it anymore. Well, I think John says, listen, child of God, I have more grace than you could ever imagine. You could never outspend my grace. So it happens when those waves of darkness and whatever form or shape they come crashing in, I think we need to remind ourselves of this. Christ is bigger. 
Just this morning, I received a call from a family. They got one of those calls no parent wants to get. Your child has been in a major accident. Man, I just had no idea what to write back. Man, I hate to hear that. I can't imagine what you must be going through. But the only thing that I could think was Christ is bigger. No matter what we might be going through, no matter what our circumstances might be, Christ is bigger. And so what we see this morning is the word, it became flesh. It became one of us, and it gives to everyone who believes. And notice this word, it became flesh. You know what we get to see that we get to believe? We see what God is really like. He's not this distant deity that doesn't really care, that's just leaving everything to chance. He's a God that knows us and loves us and cares about us. We can know that God understands us and he cares about what is going on in our lives. We can know that our lives truly matter. And we can finally see what our lives are ultimately for. So John is not saying, hey, just go and believe in something. Find some cause, find whatever. Just believe in something. Or, you know, as long as you have faith, you'll be okay. John says the most important thing in your life is what you believe about the Son of God and His name is Jesus. Jesus is the very Son, the promised Messiah who will chase away the darkness and who brings you life. John says believe in Him. And so this morning I hope that we're a lot like young Lucy. And as she looked at great Aslan, that she was starting to see, oh, It's me, and I'm seeing you bigger and bigger. And that's my prayer, my hope, is that we will start seeing Jesus bigger and bigger. And each and every day of our lives, we see that more and more. Because believing is seeing him bigger and bigger. Pray with me. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.